used to think time was my enemy My future wasn't looking good So worried about the things I couldn't see I couldn't see the things I could I was aging fearfully Worrying my life away When all along I should have been Thankful for every day Finally made a friend of time Now you could say that I'm Aging gratefully Broadcasting from the rolling hills of the beautiful Tennessee Valley from the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains. Across this amazing nation and spanning the universe you are listening to, Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, bringing you exceptional guests and novel information to ensure you age great, live full, and embrace each extraordinary day for the incredible gift it is. We broadcast on all your favorite players brought to you all over the world. Greetings, most amazing listeners. I hope you're doing wonderful. Thank you for joining the Power Hour. So delighted you're joining the show today. This episode releases during a special week. Of course, I'm speaking of Thanksgiving, the day I like to call giving thanks. We have so much to give thanks for. That's something to smile about. So please join me, Aging Rebels, and let's kick off the hour with our signature pose, our global Grinfest smiles across the miles together in the spirit of gratitude. Speaking of gratitude, this time last year, we were hosting our show called Feast of Gratitudes, where we enjoyed a virtual Thanksgiving dinner together and shared gratitudes from our Aging Gratefully family of listeners. You loved that episode in part because of the pretend meal we indulged together. That menu is still up. You can find it on my website at hollykelly.com under the Aging Gratefully show tab, where you'll also find a link to that episode. It was a special kind of gathering, though, and that we got lost in our creative imaginings to celebrate this time of year and season upon us. There's something special about every season. In this particular one, many of us anticipate all the things we associate with fall, transitioning to cooler weather, Mother Nature providing us with a beautiful new backdrop featuring Autumn's palette of bold golds, auburn, magenta, to marvel her changing vista. Hot chocolates, outdoor fires, fall festivals, and of course, a plethora of pumpkins. It seems everything turns up um, good as we enter fall. Pumpkin lattes, pumpkin bread, pumpkin pie, Fall reminds that everything really is pumpkin spice and a latte things nice, except for maybe daylight savings time and that endless leaf raking. I literally can't believe how many leaves fall out of one tree. But regardless, we love how this season is also the opening act, rolling out the red carpet for upcoming holidays to be celebrated in the weeks ahead. But back to that seasonal pumpkin palooza. Picking that special pumpkin makes us feel like a kid again. Whether it's in a pumpkin patch or even the store, this pumpkin-choosing autumn ritual never gets old. How to decide on that pumpkin 
short and squatty, knobby, long stem, round versus oval, white, green, orange, from disfigurings to how does it sit, they each have something unique, a special character that says harvest season has arrived. You see, there's more than meets the gourd here because a pumpkin isn't just a pumpkin. It begins as a flowering plant, and most pumpkins have hundreds of seeds inside. So if the pumpkin in that patch didn't get picked, it literally can regenerate into more pumpkins. Most people think that a pumpkin is a vegetable as we consider it a winter squash, but scientifically speaking, it's actually a fruit because it blossoms from a flower. Cultures throughout history have enjoyed pumpkins as part of their diet, but it is speculated the oldest pumpkin seeds date back to 7,000 to 5,500 BC. But pumpkins have definitely been center stage of autumn and Thanksgiving traditions. History.com shares this time of year, nearly to the day, 402 years ago, aging rebels, the Mayflower and its 102 passengers landed at Plymouth Rock with a vision of fortune and a new life in the new world. A year later, only half of them made it, as the rest mostly stayed on board to avoid the harsh winter and succumbed to sickness, like scurvy and other contagious disease outbreaks. But in spring, the survivors were welcomed by local tribe members and friendships were forged. They taught them their knowledge and survival tactics from how to live off the land, what plants to eat, and harvest skills and their expertise was shared with the pilgrims and it paid off as their first harvest proved successful. And so on November 24th, 1621, they organized their first celebratory feast together 401 years ago, the first documents of a Thanksgiving of sorts, together. I like that word and it also sounds like to gather, to gather together. And what a tradition that first special harvest created. This time of year invites us to gather together, to lay down our differences and to simply celebrate what we bring to the table, celebrate our harvest. And well, since most of us aren't farmers, perhaps our harvest is a little different these days. Perhaps instead we can bring our own distinctive and contemporary yield to the table through acts of kindness, time well spent, Smiles, stories told, generosity of spirit. Sure, bake up that favorite pumpkin pie everyone loves. Laughter, memories in the making, the lost art of slowing down and being spellbound by life's moments. Whether you think of it as a fruit or a veggie, your favorite table and porch decor, perhaps even a perch to sit for a spell, Pumpkins symbolically represent the iconic traits of gratitude, generosity, and abundance. So it makes sense that they're a vine, as vines grow and spread, and these qualities do too, much like a bumper crop. But if that pumpkin could speak, I wonder what words of wisdom it might impart. I'm thinking it might say, let the gourd times roll. Big things begin with just a tiny blossom. Grow where you're planted, but realize your unlimited potential to spread your gifts like a vine. Stay rooted. Sometimes a thick skin helps maintain the sweetness just beneath the core. Notice beauty in what makes you different. Take in more sunshine. Amazing things can be hidden inside, despite the packaging. Good things take time, and that's okay. 
because some of our greatest growth can happen in the stillness and never squash your dreams. With that, let's unveil this week's Aging Gratefully show dedication. It's to the word thanks. It's a noun and it means an expression of gratitude. And our Aging Gratefully alphabet suit for the psyche this week is to a Native American saying, quote, give thanks for unknown blessings already on their way. Well, we are blessed today for a guest that has arrived, and we're so excited to introduce her. Victoria Short is a retired English teacher and dedicated student of life. In her teaching career, she taught thousands of students and mentioned and mentored many young educators. Through the lens of literature and decades of classroom interaction, she developed a philosophy of looking at the world with a curious and discerning eye. Victoria began her teaching career with more than academic achievement. In addition to her BA in English from Lafayette College and an MA in education from Harvard University, Victoria served in the U.S. Army as a military intelligence officer. Victoria joined Teach for America, a nonprofit organization that places teachers in areas suffering from chronic teacher shortages, and spent seven years teaching in Louisiana, where she was named Teacher of the Year. She returned to Bucks County, Pennsylvania as a teacher until her retirement in 2020. She currently resides in New Hope, Pennsylvania. She enjoys hiking and exploring nature, and she has written this incredible book called Find Your Mini Pumpkin, Life Lessons to Live with Purpose. You can learn more about her by visiting her at www.authorvictoriashort.com. It is with great pleasure. So excited to welcome you, Victoria, to the Aging Gratefully Show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, we're so happy to have you with us today. And as a retired English teacher, I'm a little nervous because we we break every single grammar rule <laughs> on this show. Um, and then we also make up our own words. Uh, so I got into your book and I realized, oh my goodness, I'm in fantastic company. We we definitely have great company with us today uh, because you are a little into the making up words things too. And um, when I saw that, I was like, okay, we'll be great. Yes, no fear here. I do like making up words. It's funny, I, I get a visceral reaction when people hear I'm an English teacher. It's it's kind of love or hate, but... <laughs> uh, well, we love you. Um, it's just, uh, we may not get a passing gray on how, grade on how we use language here. So this amazing book, um, what inspired you to write, and I'll say the word inspire again, this inspiring book? Well, thank you so much for that. Um, for many years, my students would often say to me when we were covering the classics, this is all well and good, Miss Short, but what about some practical knowledge about life after school? And I would always try to bring it back to the literature and say, these are the stories of life. And they're like, well, yeah, but I, I do want to get a job and my my license. So could you speak more to that? So over time, I started tying the lessons of the literature to more practical ideas about how to navigate life. And then after a while, those Friday life lessons just took on a life of their own. They were sometimes not exclusively tied to the literature and they just became a way to, to navigate the, the path ahead. Um, and so I always dedicated about 
10 minutes on a Friday to talk about these things. And my students always said, you know, you should really compile these lessons and publish a book. And I always said, oh, no, the magic is in speaking to you in real time and, um, you know, having a group of 30 people in front of me. So there's interaction. But then I retired. And then I seemed to have all this time on my hands mm -hmm. and also a desire to kind of reinvent myself. Um, I do believe that once a teacher, always a teacher. But when I wasn't gainfully employed as a public school teacher, suddenly I was trying to think, well, who am I now? Um, and so I thought, you know what? I'll First thing I'll do is take their advice and compile those lessons and publish the book they were always encouraging me to publish. So awesome. And how lucky for us uh, that you did uh, finally come to that decision to do that. And so this book was actually envisioned, uh, originally conceived, I think, for um, young adults embarking on their college or life adventures. Uh, but truly, I... I feel it's an everyone book and everyone that wants to live better and have more keen insight to life. Would you, would you agree? Or did you have a specific audience? Well, the, the specific audience was originally those graduating seniors and the working title of the book was LT's life lessons because my students used to refer to me as LT since I was a Lieutenant in the army. Um, and then when I gave a manuscript, uh, the first version of my manuscript to an editor, the, the response was, well, no one is going to know who LT is. Um, and would you consider a broader audience? Because certainly these life lessons would be useful for graduating seniors, either from high school or from college. But a lot of the lessons, according to my editor, resonated with people who were older, people who perhaps were making a transition in life or trying to reimagine who they were. So that's where the idea of, of broadening the audience um, became real. Yes. And thank you for your service. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so as I'm reading the book, I'm realizing that it, a, a side effect of the book a positive one is I feel that readers will be encouraged as they're going through this to start looking at life as kind of little nuggets and stories, uh, nuggets of wisdom and stories, because you've woven so many beautiful stories into this book. And so I wonder, is that how you look at life through the lens of a story? I do. And I think that I always resonate with story, whether it comes from literature, it comes from a conversation. There is something that resonates with story because it's universal. Um, so I love that approach. And I suppose my message through the story is to be mindful because I often noticed in my own life, certainly as well, we get into routines, um, we have jobs, we have family, we have commitments, and we're so busy doing and being responsible that we forget sometimes to be mindful about what brought us to this point and why it is we're doing what we're doing. So the overarching message is to be mindful. And the stories are a way for people to connect, to say, that resonates with me because this happened or this experience happened. So even though it's an individual story, hopefully it connects to the universal experience. So true. And 
I love, as you mentioned, um, these different sections in the book. It's broken down into sections, living life through the lens, being present to receive. So how did you formulate these different sections? Because I really just found that refreshing to be able to move through those different sections you created. Well, originally, some of my students, as a gift to me at the end of the year, had written down some of my lessons and presented to me in a book. So I thought when I started writing it, okay, I'll do one lesson a day, and they were in no particular order. So when I had a full collection um, of the lessons, I printed them out and spread them out on my living room floor. And I live in a very tiny apartment. So that took up the entire living room. <laughs> and I just thought, what goes with what? Um, kind of a, a riff on the index card approach to, to research papers back from my youth. You just get the information, you spread it out, then you start organizing. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. So I, I tried to group together lessons that had a common theme Um and then I, I know at the end of the book, there is a chapter that deals with more serious um, lessons. And I wanted that to have a dedicated space for itself too. So the reader could be aware of that section, take their time, maybe revisit over time. Because one thing about the book is you can read it, it chronologically, but you can also go to a lesson or revisit a lesson that, that speaks to you. Yes, it's a page flipper book where you can pick it up at any point and literally just be infused with greatness, or you can go uh, in order and just see what shows up along the way. So I love how you've created this uh, to meet different readers' reading styles and how they want to do it. But I also do see it as a book that has timeless wisdom woven in it. And that it's not a book that you read and then it just ends up on your library shelf and it's you know no longer access. It's just kind of a pinnacle um, placeholder that says, I've read this book. This is a book that I feel is something that we revisit and we go back and we're charmed by the lessons again. And so I, I just really like that you've created something that we can kind of uh, use as a keepsake in our lives. I've heard that before. In fact, one of my relatives refers to it as a resource book. Um, and she said, I, I don't want to write in it, but I kind of do. And I said, well, <laughs> by all means, please write in the book. Um, I used to tell my students, if it's issued by the school, I realize you can't. But when you own your own books, I think it's the, the highest form of regard and respect for a book to interact with. Oh, so true. I mean, have the cover, um, you know, have, you know, edges that show that this has been so loved and uh, sticky notes and tabs and everything else. Uh, uh, the binder may be coming apart, but that means that that book was really meaningful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what has it been like teaching so many uh, young people throughout your life? It's really been a privilege to be a teacher. Um, I've learned, and many teachers will say this, I've learned so much more from my students than I could ever impart to them. Um, they are such a strange and wonderful combination of curiosity um, and questions, and they have a dubious nature sometimes, so they're, they're going to challenge you on the ideas that you present, and it's great because they haven't learned 
the um, what sometimes we fall into, which is the routine of artifice. We put on our public faces, we go forth, we do what makes sense in the moment for us strategically. Kids don't have that. Um, and even I taught for my, the last part of my career, seniors primarily, and I was like, this is such a golden time because yes. you have so much information, but you haven't lost your innocence and you're open to possibility. And I was always saying, as they were saying, well, I want to do this and I want to go forth and I want to get my license and I want to start my life. And I'm like, of course you do. And that's great. But cherish these moments. Don't don't zoom through your last year of <laughs> high school because many years from now, you're going to look back on these days and treasure them. So be in the moment, be present. Yes, I love that. And you talk about that a lot in your book. Is there, we often talk on this show about things that we can share with other generations. And you have an interesting angle. You've just shared some, but is there any great takeaway uh, that's kind of resonating that we uh, can learn from younger adults? I think that we have more power than we realize, especially about how we feel because how we feel is a choice and our emotions can be a, a roadmap to what to do next. If we're, if we're feeling overwhelmed or we're anxious or we're angry or depressed, these can be indications that it's time to make a change or go within or seek help from without. Um, our emotions can be a roadmap. And I know I didn't learn that until much later in life. I just assumed that the way I was feeling was a result of things that I couldn't change. And I think it, it took me a lifetime to realize that I could indeed direct my own sale. And if anyone could have imparted that message to me earlier, um, I would have treasured it. And it's the one message I come back to with my students, whatever the age, is that you can make choices to ensure your own happiness. So never think that it's beyond your reach. It is not. And understanding that is the first step to living a, a more fulfilled life. And I always say the one thing you, you want to avoid as much as possible is regret. So if you are mindful and you are seeking happiness, then you will start to identify that which is your path and, and those things that you wish to do to avoid to regret so that you never have to say, gee, I wish I would have, mm -hmm. um, because you know what makes you passionate about life and you're always finding ways to seek it out. I found your book very special year round, but I also wanted to share this episode during the holidays because I felt like that you brought some timely perspective and you address so many different things in the book that I just wanted to bring it to listeners' attention. Uh, so it's Find Your Mini Pumpkin, Life Lessons to Live with Purpose. But also during the holidays is kind of like a time where we're getting together and many of us and we are able to kind of share some of our life lessons. And I just thought that your book was so timely for us to rethink how that is and kind of uh, enjoy the opportunities that will arise from these in-gatherings. And so in what you've created, I wonder in all that's there, I don't know how many sections there are, by the way, um, how many different 
Do you know how many different life lessons you've incorporated in there? Well, there are actually 88. Um, There were over 100 to begin with, and some wound up on the cutting room floor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The best of the best, right? Yeah, but I I believe there are um, 88 in the collection um, in Find Your Mini Pumpkin. Okay. So do you have a favorite life lesson you would like to share with listeners? I suppose it's the one that inspired the title. Um, And from your introduction, I've learned so much more about pumpkins, (laughs) which is great. Um, This was one of the uh, the first lesson that's that's in the book is the one that was a favorite with my students. Um, and it was called Find Your Mini Pumpkin. And every year in the fall, I would go to my local grocery store and I would get a tiny little pumpkin. And I don't know why I was so enamored by it, but there was something so beautiful about the really tiny ones that they came in different colors, that you could get a group and they were relatively inexpensive. And there was just something delightful about them. And I would bring them into my classroom and I would say, it's time, you know, for the mini pumpkin. And at first they looked at me like I had three heads. Um, But I said, no, no, it's a, I'll bring this back. It's a metaphor. Uh, (laughs) But it, it represents all the things that you personally find delightful. Um, and again, I, I was like, there are many things that we are grateful for our friends and our family and our health and our community. Um, and those are a given and those should be cherished. But what are the little idiosyncratic things that just make you happy, just make you smile? And for me, it it was the pumpkin. Um, and sometimes I left those pumpkins on my shelf and in May, they were still in perfect shape. And the kids are like, how did you make that happen? I'm like, I don't know, probably because there's a lot of cold air coming in. But, um, you know, I'm like they know they're loved. And yeah, we just it's joke good the it. test of time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But the my students would come back from college. Years later, I would run into them and they would say, you know, of all the lessons you taught us, it was the one about the mini pumpkin that really stuck with me. And some would get mini pumpkins um, for their homes, their dorm rooms, whatever. But they also talked about a special photograph um, that became their mini pumpkin or a feeling or a song or whatever it was. It didn't even have to be tangible. And there was something so enduring about that lesson um, that I think it's it's become my favorite because when I do connect with students, they always mention that to me, find your mini pumpkin. So... I would say that Victoria, you are asking listeners to. <laughs> I am asking listeners to find your mini pumpkin. Whatever it is, whatever makes you just smile for no apparent reason, um, it's unique to you. It it's just something that usually is very simple, um, but it just it just reminds you that life is good. I and mean, that's really the message that you look at this thing, you think of this thing, it could be a person, it could be an event, it could be an object, it could be any number of things, but it just makes you pause, makes you smile and renews your faith in the goodness of the journey. 
Beautiful. That's a perfect time for us to take it to break. Don't go anywhere because this fantastic conversation will continue today. We're so grateful to be with Victoria Short, talking all things life lessons in surprising places and her amazing new book, Find Your Mini Pumpkin, Life Lessons to Live with Purpose. You can learn more about her by visiting her at www.authorvictoriashort.com. By the way, I know you out there love our show's theme song for new listeners, though. That is Jim Beloff's Aging Gratefully. You can find it on iTunes or Amazon Music in his album Dreams, I Left in Pockets. And I invite you to show Jim some Aging Gratefully love. Visit him at fleamarketmusic.com. See what he has going on because he may have some things that pique your curiosity there. Special thanks to our awesome Aging Rebels tuning in all over the world. We've been charting in some amazing places. You've been sharing this show with your friends and family. I appreciate that you have allowed us to be a top show in Aging Worldwide. And it's time for me to tell you my truth and yours. And that is that you rock and you role model. And I'm truly grateful for each of you. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, and we'll be right back. I am one of the lucky 200 folks to have chatted with Holly, uh, an extraordinary conversationalist, a deep researcher, uh, one that can really uh, bring themes of aging gratefully to you. I couldn't be more pleased, and I I really appreciate the chance to uh, uh, be a small part of a a large train moving toward having people age gratefully. Uh, The website is wellpast40, that's spelled out F-O-R-T-Y dot com, and uh, Um, If you need more details on my enjoyable experiences, contact. The Ladder Life Planning Institute is the ultimate guidance for life's inevitable destiny and your path to passionate aging and inspirational advanced care planning. LLPI offers tools that educate, inspire, and enlighten. Live vibrantly, plan thoughtfully, age dynamically. Visit LLPI for business and individual consulting services. Professional and keynote speaking, books, workshops, education, webinars, and resources. LLPI is here to transform your ladder life living today. Visit them at LadderLifePlanningInstitute.com. Live extraordinary, age dynamically. Visit LadderLifePlanningInstitute.com. Hey, this is Doug Vermeeran. I'm the producer and director of films like The Opus, The Gratitude Experiment, The Treasure Map, and the new movie, How Thoughts Become Things. I've just been a guest on the Aging Gracefully show, and what a powerful and pleasant experience. I'm going to encourage all of you guys to tune into this amazing uh, show with such powerful insights. I can promise you that if you do, it will help you and will even change your life. So get on it right now. Be sure to tune in. Uh, and my website, www.douglasvermeeran.com. Thank you so much, best listeners in the world. Welcome back to Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, here today with our guest, Victoria Short, who promotes her unique approach to living life with intention and purpose. And I know you, my awesome Aging Rebels, you are all about this show, as am I. So before we resume our conversation, I want to give our listener shout out, a listener who emailed me and said, thank you for the work you do. I appreciate every new episode and your uplifting positivity and topics are a highlight of my week. 
Thank you. That's a highlight of my week to hear from you out there, uh, to know that the messages that we create resonate with you. So we really appreciate uh, you sharing those with us, uh, leaving the reviews, sending me uh, emails, and uh, we just so appreciate that. You know what else we appreciate? Today's guest. We are just so enjoying this conversation and I invite you to visit her at www.authorvictoriashort.com where you can learn more about all that she's doing. Sign up for her newsletter there as well. And I just, she'll um, have information about the book, but this book available on Amazon makes a great holiday gift, Aging Rebels. You tune into the Aging Gratefully show because you appreciate our uh, ability to inspire and uh, to be able to kind of like bring an uplifting part to your week. And this book will definitely do that. So search for this on Amazon, find your mini pumpkin life lessons to live with purpose. You will not be disappointed at all. I mean, literally as you go through the book, it's an easy read and uh, just many, many little life lessons in here. So I invite you just to think of someone on your list who kind of just enjoys coffee time and uh, being with some something great that inspires them. Okay. So I was a little nervous about, I majored in journalism, which kind of gave me a license to break all of the rules in grammar. And then um, English, oh my goodness, that's like, woo, scary for us here. But then I said, as we began the show that I was in good company because Hey, if she's willing to make up words like spoogly goo, spoogly goo, <laughs> I'm loving it. Um, so uh, let's talk about spoogly goo, who um, this made a chapter in the book. Um, yes. Can you, can you, is it a spoiler? Oh, oh no, I'm happy to talk about it. But <laughs> um, I will say about language, you can break the rules as long as you're doing it for a purpose, you know, and as I say in the book, if you're just breaking all the rules because you don't know what the rules are, that's one thing. But I love when writers, people um, do things that are unexpected, bend the rules, break the rules even for effect. Um, and it changes the whole message. And it's so fun. And English is very malleable that way. And I, I think people should should experiment and, and be less fearful. Um the spooky, spookly goo was a word. I don't know where it came from, but it just in my head. And this I call the sound of excuses. And so sometimes, um, and we all do this, my students did it sometimes, but I'm just as guilty, that we start coming up with excuses for something and then we kind of fall in love with our own story and then we start embellishing it. And before you know it, we, we're really stuck in it. Because rather than just grappling with the truth that's in front of us, we think that we have to say what people expect us to say or what will please them. And so spoogly goo became the word that I used for when we're just making noise and we're not saying anything and we're not adding clarity to the message. We're just kind of excusing things and trying to justify what we're doing. And so in the book, I've encouraged people to examine their own spoogly goo meter. Um, and you really don't, most of the times we, we don't need to give anyone an explanation. For some reason, we feel that we must 
come up with a yarn that will explain things away when it's really not necessary. So I'm like, you might just check yourself. You're probably putting yourself through gyrations that are completely unnecessary to please people that aren't even paying attention anyway. So sometimes less is more when it comes to that. Well, speaking of the sound that you're alluding to, it sounds like spoogly goo, by the way, should uh, we on the Aging Gratefully show have submitted many different words into the Oxford English Dictionary. (laughs) And so I'm thinking spoogly goo. That was like a really good definition. I think it deserves to be a word. Well, that would be a crowning achievement for sure. Yes. So I say submit spoogly goo. Uh, We've done it a multitude of times on things we've created here. So, um, but speaking of sound, you have a section titled, Hear Both What Is Said and What Is Unspoken. So I'm a big believer in this, but some people listening may be like, wait, what? What do you mean by that? (laughs) So many times we're we're in a conversation, we're having a polite conversation, but there may be unresolved issues just below the surface and we don't want to get into it. So we're having the polite conversation because it seems appropriate, but there's all this stuff swirling just below the surface. Um, but in some ways we always give ourselves away. We always kind of betray something that alludes to that layer beneath. Um, And I always encourage people to fully be present in that conversation and you will know what is swirling just below the surface. So at least you can address it at the time. If you think it's inappropriate at that moment, that's fine. But there may be deeper conversations to be had. And I think we owe it to each other to be fully present and to listen to the entire conversation, not necessarily just the polite platitudes. Very good advice. And um, it's kind of a lost art that we sit, you know, we're very back and forth dialogue. And so I think that's so good in speaking uh, of that kind of segues us into a chapter that I really enjoyed that was choosing your battles. Such important advice. Love the story that you used (laughs) to illustrate this. Again, there's so much creativity between the pages of this book. Yes. um, You know, it's all about part of navigating life is making decisions about what's important and what's important in the moment. And again, it's one of those things we don't teach in school. I don't know if there is a way to teach it. The the way I used to address it um, is in looking at the way that characters in stories handled the decisions and the crises in their lives. And when they went awry, it was pretty obvious um, and it became a major theme in the book. But there's also a way in which we have to prioritize you know, what's important to me in this moment? What's important to my loved ones? How do I honor and cherish them or their message? And what is minutia? And it's so easy to get caught up in the minutia. Um, when I was in grad school, there was a word for it, another made up word that is gain traction, which was administrivia. And I thought, what a great word. Yes. Um, and of course, we have careers, we we have commitments, and there are details, and there 
are important reasons why we get down in the details, but sometimes it can blur the overarching message and theme and why we're doing this in the first place. So again, being mindful, practicing mindfulness can remind us, is this something that's really important to be upset over? How am I going to feel about it next week? I may have forgotten about it by then, but yet I'm fretting over it now. Um, and this is a practice that just comes with practice. It just comes with living our lives. But again, if we can impart to young people, to our children, to our students, that not everything is a crisis to just take a breath and say, is this a reaction that's commensurate with what's going on? Um, and if it seems to be over the top, maybe it's time to take a step back and just take a deep breath and realize that, you know, this too shall pass, or I have a way to solve this problem. I can reach out to this person rather than keeping it all bottled up when I don't know what to do with it. So again, if, if you want to champion a, a cause, if, if you want to plant your, your flag on that hill, um, make it a good one because it all takes energy, uh, both physical and emotional. It's really good advice because sometimes we can get trapped into making something mountain out of a molehill. And really, we could have just exercised a little bit of refraint and moved through it and lived in concord and harmony. Yes. Yes. And the more we find ourselves in that place, the more everything seems to make sense. The more you carve out a space to be calm and measured, um, and that doesn't mean that you can't be excited and that you can't be upset. The whole range of emotions is a gift. We get to experience them all. It's all part of the journey, but it's the unnecessary worrying. Um, I speak often because I've done a lot of worrying in my life. And I look back at those times and I'm like, well, did that, did that get me anything on my investment? Um, because I worried more, did it turn out better? No, it didn't. Um, it, it didn't make me sharper in my focus. If anything, it did the opposite. So sometimes we think that worrying shows how invested we are, how much we care. Um, and, and it's normal to think that way. But that anxiety is only robbing us. It, it's, it's not giving us clarity of purpose. And that's something that can be helpful to remember. I think that's really important, but particularly this time of year, because in the choosing your battles, there will always be things to upset us. We have, we feel like we have it even magnified more today with so much going on in the world that there's always going to be disagreements and a differing opinion and viewpoints to be challenged. And so I guess I would just urge aging rebels to this time of year, allow for those differences respectfully and come together in the spirit of giving thanks and think about how taking on certain issues might rob us of the opportunity, the grand and great opportunity of giving thanks. Absolutely. And I imagine people sitting around a Thanksgiving table um, with people, relatives they haven't seen in a long time. And 
perhaps that's not the best time to dive into political differences. Perhaps it's a time to just embrace harmony. I would think it would be a great new tradition to go around the table and have everyone share kind of a life lesson that they've learned or something in the past year. Um, It can be, you know, their personal story that they're offering for the greater good. Um, I would love to, to think of leaving the table, having learned something about these people that are so dear to me and uh, in receiving receiving their wisdom. Um, what a gift. What a gift. And be able to, to give one's own, but also to receive all that is generated from the table. That would be a, a true way of celebrating Thanksgiving. Bounteous. Bounteous indeed. Yes. And so I love that idea. And we have just kind of this little basket and I have everybody just take a minute, write down gratitudes and we pull from there. We try to make Thanksgiving, not just about the food, uh, (laughs) but we do talk about our gratitudes and stuff like that. So I'm glad that you, you mentioned this wonderful way to weave in a tradition of giving thanks and sharing things and stories that are of value to us and meaningful perhaps to others. So you have this special affinity for pumpkins. They are definitely uh, your signature totem. Do you know how many you have? I have a lot (laughs) in my (laughs) tiny apartment. Um, Naturally, I pick up the ones at the grocery store, uh, but students have made me little crocheted pumpkins. I've been gifted porcelain pumpkins. I love going to craft fairs and the fall is a wonderful time for craft fairs. I get tiny little ceramic ones, really, really tiny um, that would fit in shadow boxes. So I I do have more than I've ever had before this particular year. And they just, again, they, they just make me happy. And the one thing that I discovered is how many colors, and you spoke to this in the beginning of the program, how many colors there are, and especially the rare blue ones. It's really hard to come across those blue ones, but when you do, wow, that's a find. Um, And I like the large ones too. They don't have to be tiny, but I now my eye is just trained to pick up on pumpkins more than ever. And so when I take walks, I notice them on people's stoops. So this time of year in particular, the the world is being very bounteous as far as I'm concerned, because I, I see them on walks, I see them in stores, I see them in so many displays, um, and they are just lovely. Yes, and I would consider this, I did, I did read that in my research, I would consider this a blue pumpkin. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you yes. so much. Yes, I would. Um, as far as books go, it is pinnacle. And so I think that uh, if you've done an amazing job with that, Do you have any thoughts about what you feel is some of the greatest parts of growing older? I will tell you that there are many advantages, which I would not have known as a younger person. Um, One of the greatest gifts of aging is that you truly see what's important. You're able to determine what is precious and what's a distraction. Um, it's a great gift. And again, it comes over time and it comes through experience. So you can't rush it. You just have to enjoy the journey and you start to discern uh, what truly 
is deserving of your time. Um, and I, I think that is a great gift. Um, speaking of gift gifts, I just think that growing older is a gift denied to many. Um, and just the fact that we're greeting another morning is a cause for celebration. And so rather, again, it's all about perspective, rather thinking about the things that perhaps you can't do as well um, physically, perhaps as when you were younger, it's replaced with a with a, a vision and a wisdom that has its own unique season. And so I, I just think being more discerning um, is such a gift. And I know that that I am grateful for it because I want to spend my time doing things that are rewarding both to me and others. And you get a very keen sense of what those things are as you grow older. Yes. Okay. So, so much symbolism going on there with what you said. I'll revert back to one of the things I came up with, with if our pumpkin could speak, <laughs> number nine was good things take time and that's okay because some of our greatest growth can happen in the stillness. So you just address that. And some of the symbolism you talked about how we can't, sometimes we get caught up in what we can no longer do. And again, symbolism back to our pumpkins inside that pumpkin is hundreds of seeds and those seeds can be dispersed. Every person has the ability to reach so many people wherever they are in life. Yes. And you never know. That's part of the fun. You never know where those seeds are planted. You never know when you say something that resonates. It used to happen in my classroom all the time. Um, and students would bring up things that I had long forgotten. Remember when this happened? Remember when that happened? Remember when you said this? Um, I remember there was one student who said to me that she was really worried about not knowing what she needed to do in her life, not knowing what her purpose was. And it really consumed her because she was one of many overachievers that I had. And on one particular day, I said, you know, you're to the class, you're, you're 17 and 18 years old. You don't have to have it figured out. I mean, I didn't really figure out what I wanted to do until I was pushing 30. So I was late bloomer in so many ways. And she said when she graduated, that that message of just you don't have to have it all figured out today was such a gift to her. And she just stopped worrying about trying to have it all figured out. And she said to me, you will never know the impact of those words. And we're all capable of that. And we're all doing that daily, that we're saying things, we're, we're having interactions. We do dispense our wisdom in ways Sometimes it's not always welcome, um, but I know that we all say and do things that become the living examples for others. And that's such powerful stuff. So, so very true. And I love that you've incorporated so much richness, so many gems in this book uh, from, you talked about curveballs. We talk about this. We call them chi mushroom sandwiches on this show. Mm -hmm. uh, you really have great stories for what life brings, come what may, uh, the ups, the downs, the, the real stuff, the stuff that may be ahead and in sight uh, yet. 
uh, to be embarked upon. So I just really appreciate how you've just hit so many high notes with this. And I'm wondering if there's anything in our final moments that you feel that we haven't shared that you'd like listeners to know. I would just like for everyone to remember what made them passionate from their youngest times. What, when you were a kid, made you happy? It doesn't go away because we get older and we have responsibilities. Whatever touched you in those years is something special. And if you've gotten very far away from that passionate thing that has lit you up since you were a kid, take some time to reconnect. And there are many ways in which you can do it. You don't have to drop everything that you're doing right now, but make a space for that which makes you passionate about the journey. That's my one message to everyone of any age. Yes. And such a good and powerful one. And kind of I'm thinking as you were saying all that, what a wonderful prompt for Thanksgiving conversations to ask one another, what lit you up as a child and see where that grows, because I bet it grows like a vine. And I bet you're going to hear things from your relatives that you never knew before that they will be happy to tell you. And what a great time of year to share. Yes. Yes. And it actually might ignite a spark in in the person sharing as well. Yes. Kind of tether them back uh, to this passion that maybe has gotten overlooked in life overcome. Absolutely. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Um, It's those little moments uh, and when we can capture them and when we can share them, they they do resonate. And that story, again, will plant more seeds. Yes, so true. So, of course, we this hour goes too quickly. Uh, we've enjoyed our time with you, but we can't have the episode end without knowing how you age gratefully. I love traditions. Not to be confused with mindless routine. And so... Traditions are things that you can cultivate over time. I used to rush out the door when I was working um, with a a cup of coffee on the run. Um, And now I've just taken the time to make tea, something from my childhood. British parents, we always had tea. Um, I brew the tea, another metaphor perhaps, rather than just running to a convenience store for a a cup of joe, I brew the tea. Um, I I make a practice of mindfulness. And again, as we age, it's so important to carve out that time to understand who we are and what we have to give. And those little traditions of encouraging mindfulness can be a way to see the road ahead as a time of promise. Beautifully articulated and uh, savor those simplicities, aging rebels. We have so cherished this hour with you. We really appreciate all the work that you're bringing to the world. Again, I invite listeners to get your book, a wonderful holiday gift, find your mini pumpkin, life lessons to live with purpose. Amazing read. And I just want to thank you again for spending your time with us today. Thank you so much, Holly. 
It's been our pleasure. You've been listening to Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed our message, I invite you to subscribe and share it with others. May you remember to never act your age and that age is just a number. And may you enjoy and embrace the coming week in the spirit of gratitude. Until we meet again, Aging Rebels, here's to living your best life now. I used to think time was my enemy My future wasn't looking good So worried about the things I couldn't see I couldn't see the things I could I was aging fearfully Worrying my life away When all along I should have been Thankful for every day finally made a friend of time now you could say that i'm aging gratefully mm, aging gratefully